0: Hi, I'm Adrian, and right this moment, there are tens of thousands of black entrepreneurs around the world creating amazing startups that you've never heard about. For some reason, the mainstream media doesn't cover black entrepreneurs as much as it should. But on this show, we find these amazing founders. We sit down with them. We figure out how they got their ideas launched, what their struggles were, what they're afraid of, What drives them? My hope is that you, having a firepower from listening to the show, to go out there and start your own business, or if you're working on something, continue plowing through it. Let's have an amazing time together. Welcome to the show. All right, Juan Young. All right, so this brother popped up on my radar, I think a few weeks ago came hot out of Founders Gym into a pretty, pretty interesting crowdfunding campaign, checked out the company and you're doing something interesting here, man. Like what are you doing over at Melanins?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I appreciate you having me on, you know, Melanins is an online learning platform for communities of color. Uh, When I I think of Melanins or kind of explain this to people, I really tell them what we're doing is we're, we're diversifying ed tech. You know, when you look at online learning and just education in general, You know, it's been the same for hundreds of years, the way that students are taught, um, the way that that um, content is presented and really the voices uh, at the table who's creating content and and determining kind of the way that we are supposed to learn and the type of content that's out there. And if you take a look at the the entire kind of ed tech landscape. The creators, uh, the platforms, they have the same perspective, the same vibe, the same uh, MO. And so what we're doing is trying to really focus on the needs of communities of color and understanding that you can't, you know, one size doesn't fit all. And so, you know, we're really trying to make something that that speaks to uh, communities of color and, and, and helping us to uh, learn the things we need to, to go to the next level, take our careers to the next level, take our businesses to the next level.
0: Yeah. I, I checked out the, uh, the site. It, it looks great. It looks fantastic. I, I like the idea. That's primarily why you're on the show. One thing that I have to ask though, it could be a branding thing. It could be a language thing, but a lot of times people will say communities of color, right? But they're really referring to like black professionals or uh, people will say minorities or say black professionals. Is it the case here, which is the same? Like the core audience is black professionals? Like when you go to bed at night, you're thinking about black people leveling up? Or is it just general, multifaceted, sort of a multiracial thing? Or is that the black audience is your core audience?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I'm a black male. And I'm married to a a black woman and I have a black son. And so, you know, I am always concerned first and foremost uh, with the black community. They are always at the forefront of my mind. We are always, um, the, the reason why I do what I do. Um, and so really our core audience is are really black millennials, really. That, that's the audience that have gravitated towards our product the most. And so when we think of, you know, product offerings and things of that nature, really black millennials are a beachhead market, uh, but we also understand that there are plenty of other communities that also have been overlooked and are underrepresented and deal with imposter syndrome and don't necessarily see themselves reflected, um, you know, in, in boardrooms, and the E-suite and C-suite and et cetera. So we wanted to really create a safe space uh, for all communities of color to feel, uh, safe, uh, unlike some other, uh, really large platforms out there. Um, uh, but you know, black millennials really have been, have, have, I really see being the, the largest demographic on our platform. Um, and then even more specifically getting down to even just even more, uh, specific like black women, you know, black women have been the ones which have kind of been leading the way of us talking about, you know, interest in the platform, wanting to teach on the platform. Um, and so, so yeah, it, it, that's kind of where we stand. You know, we are hyper niche focused on communities of color, but I think even more specifically, uh, Black millennials uh, have been uh, our number one focus to start.
0: Yeah, I think this is the question that a lot of people will ask, right? They don't understand this problem. I do. You do. We all do, right? But let's say folks that don't necessarily have this issue, the question would always be, well, how does content that is targeted to... Black millennials differ from all the other content out there? Because, right, you're going into a very competitive space. You know, you've got edX, you've got lynda.com, you've got Udemy. I mean, there's tons of these platforms that have yeah. been established, millions of users, whatever the case may be. How do you how do you attack that question and, and sort of break it down so people can understand why and how the content differs?
1: Yeah, so, you know, I think... You know, one of the things I, I tell people when I'm having when I'm pitching VCs and angels and et cetera is if the current educational technology platforms were doing what they're supposed to do, then you would see a change in African-Americans and executive leadership positions. You would see um, a change in. Uh, the percentage of how likely we are to be professionally developed at work. You wouldn't see, you know, black LinkedIn uh, getting <laughs> articles written up because they're being silenced on LinkedIn. And so the, I, this idea that the needs of communities of color are being met on these platforms Although may you know, although platforms can have been created in a very uh, with with great intentions, the execution of them have been the same, and the and the underlying issue is our lived experiences are not representative re- representative in the instructors, and our voices are not are not uh, included at the table when it comes to creation and the decision making on the platforms. So you know it is it, when I have conversations with VCs and angels, I tell them. What we found you know, through through interviewing over 600 people, potential users on our platform, is that there are certain types of courses where it doesn't matter if someone's black, white, orange, purple, green. If it's how to set up your podcast equipment, they don't care who's teaching them how to set up their podcast equipment. They want to know how to set up podcast equipment. They just want to make sure you have that information. But where your lived experience is and where it, it helps to have a mirror, right? Where you can see yourself as opposed to a window where you don't see yourself in that, that person is when it comes to the soft skills. Now, you know, if it's a, class, a course that says how to set up your podcast equipment, doesn't matter. But when it comes to how to be successful as a podcaster, right? How to have a successful podcast. Well, that's when you want to have somebody who shares your lived experiences, right? Because you want to feel that the person Understands where you are coming from. They've been through some of the similar things. They 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 feel you. They understand, and then it encourages you and motivates you to continue to go. And we've seen that all through education, from early childhood education, you know, from the importance of having mentors and et cetera, et cetera, um, and having teachers who look like them even in the professional realm. So I tell people, we're not creating anything revolutionary. You know, what we're doing really, you know, it's revolutionary because it's the, it's the, the, what is it? The low hanging fruit. It's, listen, it doesn't have to be done with different bells and whistles. We just need people like us to teach us because they've been through some of the things that we have. And it's really, really important for us and our mental health to be able to have those shared experiences in the instructor to to know it's somebody who we give instant credibility to. And that's important. And, and, and so those are my conversations. <laughs> you know, I don't think that we are I, I say that to, I mean, even though, you know, we're I'm, it's my company, you know, I think the business, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel, right? We're not creating this new way to present this content in a way that no one's ever seen it. You know, we're not masterclass and, and going and using $20,000, you know, uh, and up film production cameras. We just want people who look like us. And that's all our community has been asking for. And so it's essentially, we're just feeling that need of a large group of people who said no one's listening to us and we're speaking to their needs and then delivering on that promise to give them content that they really want to see
0: honestly i really do agree with that it's something obviously that i've experienced as well as a black professional founder entrepreneur talking to vcs and angels myself so i definitely get that standpoint so let's talk about okay so you've established that this this problem does exist you've built a platform to actually address these needs you recently launched what i consider a very successful crowdfunding campaign so congrats on that and how's that been going and what is that process like i know that we're seeing a lot more crowdfunding happening now just because well non-accredited investors are now allowed by law to invest in startups early stage startups walk me through that process of you know getting this idea building out the tech as a non-technical founder yourself your background is in marketing if i'm correct right
1: yeah yeah marketing and education
0: education right so stepping into the tech space and now building something and then putting it out on a crowdfunding campaign walk me through that process out there if someone's listening and they're thinking about doing something like this let's take them through those steps
1: yeah yeah like you said so my, yeah my background's in marketing and education i'm a former preschool director and so i ran a preschool at 22 years old had 35 kids and a, and a uh, 35, you know, preschoolers and a staff of six at 22. So, you know, kind of this passion for education. And after I left from there, I went into like the professional world and worked in the nonprofit sector for a little bit and then actually want to make some money. So I went into the professional world and started doing marketing. So, yeah, so getting into this tech space, I just never, I never knew anybody who was a founder of a tech startup. I never knew anybody who was creating tech solutions. And so I just thought as a non-technical person who wasn't a developer or anything like that, like there was no way I could create a technical platform. And so after, you know, getting frustrated with having to scroll for 15 pages on LinkedIn learning before I found anybody who looked like me, uh, I said, you know, enough is enough. I'm going to build this platform. So, you know, took this idea and, you know, we pulled 401k (laughs) and talked to my wife, you know, we pulled the 401k money out and, and... you know, we, we built this platform, found some developers to, to get it done. But when we started thinking about how we're going to finance this, you know, I think one of the things that a lot of like black founders, you know, we, <laughs> the data will show that generally for black founders, our money, we can stretch, we can do a lot of things with very little. And, you know, the, the data shows that our white male counterparts go through money like crazy. And so, you know, we will be able to accomplish because a lot of the perspective generally for black founders is I need to flip this cash because if I get 250,000, I need to turn this into something else because you never know when that next $250,000 check is coming. Right. And so there isn't a, there isn't an expectation that I'm going to get more um, because we, you know, less than 3%. (laughs) of all VC funding comes to to black founders. Right. So, um, I started thinking, all right, well, how are we going to get this capital in a world where everybody's getting millions and millions and million? Um, and so it was important for us to go to the community because, you know, I saw a few other black founders who did really well, raised like Don Dixon from, from Popcom, you know, raised a million dollars. Um, more than once, you know, doing equity crowdfunding. She's the first African-American woman to do that. You know, so I was encouraged and saying, all right, I think if we go to the community, we can do this. I I had for a previous business, I I did a Kickstarter campaign. So I had a successfully funded. We raised like 25,000 on a Kickstarter in the past. So this idea of going to the community and asking and saying, hey, buy into this, uh, I knew could work. And I knew that if we did that, it also would help us, you know, to have a our first initial kind of supporters and users so you know we reached out to to net capital which is who we decided to do our equity crowdfunding with and the reason why I chose them the director of west coast operations is a is an african american male he's a black man and he's about my age, and he was the most receptive to our idea. You know, we only wanted to raise 250,000 and a lot of other platforms, they want you to raise the million. They didn't take, this platform didn't take any equity. You know, they don't take equity from you where some other platforms do. And, you know, I think, you know, for any person who's kind of thinking about like what that next step looks like, you know, I think they just first, you know, there's a due diligence process that they go through. They ask for all your financials. Um, They want to make sure that your business is a business that is uh, scalable, right? That it's a, (laughs) that there's either an IPO or exit or what some, some some sort of strategy to return their investors uh, a nice, you know, sizable return on their money. And then, you know, you, you start getting into grind mode. And that's when you start, um you start hitting up everybody, you know, and start building that list and friends and family. And, you know, I think that's another part that like, you know, black founders, like culturally, like asking people for stuff, you know, in our mind and going out and saying, hey, can you do this is not something that is like. It's something that's kind of frowned upon a lot of times, you know. Um, and so we have to kind of get over that. The people, you know, you're gonna you're gonna need strangers to to invest in your business. And out of now, you know, we're we're at like ninety six thousand, almost a hundred thousand raised in like the last thirty days. But you know, out of that, most of that came from all from people that we don't know, that I don't know personally, who just believed in the vision. And this wasn't like I had a, tons of friends and family who can open up their pocketbooks and just. Pour in. I mean, these are coming from strangers. You know, one of our largest investments came from from Italy. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, you know, internationally. So, you know, there's this this idea that just got to get it out there, man, and then keep putting yourself out there. Get on as many podcasts as possible that are dope. You know, that's why I was happy to hop on here because you all are doing some great stuff, too. So, Yeah. <laughs>
0: I love the fact that you can just use the Internet and just ask people for money and say, hey, I've got a great idea. We want to do this thing. Can you give us some money? And people would say yes. It's, it's actually one of the most amazing things on the web. But one thing I noticed was that you had a team set up already, which is pretty hard to do. How did you get people to come work with you? Because at this point, I'm assuming that people are not drawing salaries yet, right? Everybody's um, just, sweat equity. Yeah, yeah, sweat equity. Sweat equity, right? So how do you how do you get people like say, hey, because it's like the hardest thing to do. I know that one way that works is you build something. So you had something, and you had something built already it showed that you were moving it wasn't just an idea you 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 have skin in the game but how do you approach people where these people that you know personally and say hey come join my startup and work for a few years and not make anything (laughs) what are those conversations like
1: yeah you know one of the things my my advisor told me to watch uh on amazon prime is a show called undercover billionaire and it's a guy who's like this billionaire he was like you know you can put me anywhere anywhere in the world or anywhere in the country and drop me off there and in 90 days i'll build a million dollar business it was interesting watching him go through some of some of the things because he had to get, you know, he had to find people, he had to talk to them, essentially almost like a startup, right? Um, and just having conversations with them. So it was interesting watching him do it. Anybody who's listening, check out Undercover Billionaire. Um, it's really, I mean, obviously it's TV, but it's actually pretty good. But every person on my team, I, I have relationships with before. But not everybody on my team I ever had, relate. like, I didn't have relationships with them and we ever thought about, Doing business together, right? It was never. These are just people who I just you know either worked with or um, knew from a friend of a friend. But really, that conversation is is, hey, listen, I am building something. I think you are the perfect person to help me build this. I want us to do this together. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna be very upfront with you. This is how the tech industry works. The tech industry works with people putting in sweat equity in the beginning. So what I'm asking you to do isn't anything that is out of the, the ordinary, but what I also need you to do is I need you to make sure that you have something that you are also working on as well. I don't want you to drop everything for this. This is only going to be part-time. So my team works part-time only right now. So we're talking maybe 15, 20 hours a week uh, on a high week and maybe 10 hours a week on a, on a normal week, 10, 12 hours a week on a normal week. And I want you to, to do this. And what I'm going to do is, I can't pay you right now, but there'll be some some equity involved at some point. And we'll have those conversations as we go. But what I will do is commit to having, you know, a monthly conversation with you and being completely transparent of where we are. You know, here's my plans on raising capital. And then this is what I plan to do when I raise capital. I mean, I think, you know, they're very uncomfortable situ- conversations to have, but I think that's the only way to grow as a, you know, for them to have confidence in you as a CEO, you know, I did one of the things that I don't, (laughs) I have, I have, uh, I actually started building my team and some of uh, the individuals of my team are not even part of my C-suite. So I had some people that I can bring on the team before I even had the C-suite on, which most People would tell you, don't do that. <laughs> but if you have people willing to come in and put in some sweat equity and to, and willing to help you build something, you know, let them, you know, I think there were three requirements um, for every person on my team. And when I, I told them that I wanted uh, people who are humble, hungry, and smart, I needed people who understood it was it was about the team. It wasn't about them or me or anything like that. I needed people who had some self-determination and drive and people who were emotionally intelligent. I need people who knew when to step up and when to step back. And those things were really important to me. And when I had those conversations, people kind of thought about it. They thought about the relationship with me uh, over the years. And they said, okay, this is a guy who I can see myself at least giving him a shot. And once we started working on things, um, it's, it's actually hard to get people to kind of turn it off. You know, I am... You know, in a place right now where I've been having conversations with my team and saying, "Listen, you may, it, it, you know, it may be another eight months, you know, before you can come on full time. I need you to be okay with that." Um, And everybody is, but I'm like, I feel bad. <laughs> like I'm, I'm the one feeling bad, and they're like, "No, we're good." <laughs> so it is, it is one of the most challenging, probably, things a founder will do. That and raising money.
0: Yeah, I think the team thing is the first ticket, right? Mm think it's one of the hardest things to actually do to get the right team in place. And you would find that, you know, angels or VCs or anybody in the finance and world and startups, they look at team very keenly first because they know that ideas can change. Right. The format can change. It can go from being, you know, a web platform to a series of books. It can go from being what you have right now to events. Right. There's so many different ways it can go, but the team always stays the same. Right. So that that is probably one of the more important things. So let's talk about Okay, so we've got idea we, you know, we cashed out the 401. Okay, that that's 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 a bold move. But, you know, we have a vision. We got our we got our team together now. You know, we've convinced some people that we're not crazy. And so now now you got some oomph behind you. What's next?
1: Yeah, man. So we we do not. So so really, the the next thing is um, besides securing capital, which I forgot where where I hear uh, I heard someone mention it. You know, I said uh, you should always be in the business of raising capital. Uh, but you know, now it, now it's really putting it out there, right? Like it's it's getting our product to product market fit and and taking all of these insights and this 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 product that we've been building for you know for a few months and um and putting it out there like now's the time to to see uh and to really test those assumptions right and to be able to prove uh to investors to our team that people care about this and people will pay for this right it's always great until you you always think that you know until you start asking people to to put their credit card information and um (laughs) that's when the real rubber meets the road i think um and so yeah so we we actually just went live on our platform we did a a silent launch not anything too crazy, so. Actually, people now can go sign up and they can actually experience melanins. We've launched with about 20 initial courses on in the platform. And yeah, and you know, my goal at the end of this month was to have 100 users at the end of October uh, just to kind of test it out. And we're at probably like 160 now, you know, without any putting any money to, to marketing, um, without doing anything like that. And so, we're not even really sending too many emails to our email list. We kind of went to see who was going to find us organically. And uh (laughs) and and while we work out some of the kinks and the bugs. And that's what we're doing right now.
0: What was the first course on the platform? Who did the first one?
1: Yeah, the first course was actually an instructor based out of the UK. Uh, His course was on 3D animation. He actually did an eight-part series on 3D animation, which was actually some of the most it was my, the first course was in tech. And I just, I was like, wow, I had to ask him to, to actually, to, to break it up. He had one course that was 12 hours long. <laughs> Holy smokes. Yeah. So I said, you have to break this up. And uh, so, so we worked with him to figure out, you know, where, uh, where we can break things up and work and it into a part. And then right after that was the second course was, Uh, a linked, um, how to use LinkedIn to maximize like your exposure and your potential, um, recruitment. And so, really amazing kind of career coach. She did that course. So, we're excited. We actually just partnered with a black owned company called Tri Boxed Up, they are an AV rental company. So, now we are sending filming kits to all of our potential instructors who we approve. We're going to be doing this for about maybe 200 to 300 instructors. And we're going to send them a a DSLR camera, lighting, a mic. uh, So they have professional sound audio. So we're going to pay for that. And that's going to really help us to, to have content on the platform that is, that sounds good, that looks good, The lighting is great. And then we're also going to offer uh, editing services for our instructors as well. So we wanna make it as easy as possible for creators of color and subject matter experts to come on our platform right now in the beginning, right? We know that's not a sustainable business model, but, uh, Mm um, you know, for, to, to build out our content, our goal is to have a hundred plus courses on our platform before January. And so, you know, we're, we're, that's what we're working on now. And, and we've had quite a few people take us up on that. And people are like, Hey, they get their equipment for four days. And they're like, in four days, we'll film four courses. And so I'm like, wait, what? yeah we'll, we'll fill three or four courses the hardest part was finding a place to get a camera or renting this and having money for that so yeah we're, we're super excited and stoked um and we have some potential partnerships um that you know we're working on and i think these partnerships um, if solidify are going to be huge
0: for us so what what juan is doing right now for people tuned in is he's removing friction from his product right so like when you start up anything Especially startups, it's just full of friction, meaning that it's hard for someone to get to the finish line. In your case, creators will have to have all these equipment like in place already. If they don't have that, you expect them to go get it. And that might be a point where they just drop off the conversation. But you're saying, we'll give you everything you need up front. Right. So all you have to do is fire up this hair camera and say what you have to say, record it, and then throw it on the site. And it's sort of a win-win situation because they get paid right? at the end of the day. Yeah. Talk to me about the business model of this thing. I know that when you're pitching VCs and angels, uh, one thing that I'm sure you've heard, and I'm sorry, you're going to hear it again, is the market too small, right? It's like, this sounds like a niche thing. How, how is this going to be a billion dollar company, especially if you're trying to raise some VC money? Like if you're asked, Hey, we think this market is, is exciting, but it's, it, it, it might be small, right? How do you, how do you come back from that one?
1: Yeah. I I mean, I think, you know, I think one of the the things that we always share that we we want vcs angels etc to to understand that this is not just a a united states right that this is there are communities of color all over the world that are looking for spaces um that speaks and resonates to them uh if you look at the social unrest that has been happening not only in this country this has been a global social unrest right there is this this idea in this movement all over the world of marginalized communities wanting to have spaces for them to hear and and be able to learn and to engage and when we look at the edtech space you know edtech thrives because of international Consumerism. It, it isn't just because of United States, and so you know the idea that um, you know that the market is small, um, simply because we're focusing on on you know communities of color. You know, is this really just not true. I mean, we, we talk about Walker and company and and just, you know, looking at some of these companies that have revolutionized industries by simply just focusing on communities of color. And, and the other thing that I, a lot of times I tell them, it's kind of hard for them to even accurately size the market uh, when we're really creating a new market, because Our communities are not even uh, leveraging the LinkedIn learnings of the world. The Courseras, the edXs, we're such a small percentage of those platforms and partly because uh, it isn't anything that really speaks to us and resonates with us. We don't see ourselves in those things. And so I I just, that's kind of my answer. You know, I think that um, the workforce and I I always share that the, the workforce is becoming more diverse. You know, if anything, our communities are growing at, at a more rapid pace <laughs> than, than any other pace. Right. And so, you know, where we are now and where we are in five years, the, the future of work is more diverse. And so if <laughs> if your workforce is more diverse, it makes more sense to invest uh in dive in those diverse uh human beings that are gonna be in those work in the workforce, um, creating those businesses and et cetera. So and then our, our buying power is not going away. You know, we, we, we have tons of money that's sitting there ready to be tapped into. And in fact, you know, it is actually, you know, I tell people all the time, it's not charity. It's really a great business decision to invest in, uh, into communities of color because we are the most untapped kind of potential that's out there right now, specifically black, the black community.
0: Yeah, I agree with you, man. So one thing that's always interesting when I look at like your platforms or platforms similar to yours is the potential to become a lot more than just ed tech, right? So we know that it starts off with the right education from the right person, right? That's very important. But also when you start to think about it from like what happens when you get that information, you need to be mentored, right? So there's an entire layer of mentorship that could come into play on the platform. And having the ability to transfer skills and knowledge, like this morning I was looking at it, I was like, hey, you know what? maybe I can do a short course on like how to build an MVP, right? How to go from scratch MVP, or you just mentioned podcast right now. I was like, Hmm, that'd be interesting. So I think that you really build in a space to transfer knowledge, which is very exciting because there's a lot of people out there that know a lot that want to give back to the communities, but might not necessarily have the time the resources to do it at the scale. So I think that if you're able to achieve scale, you've created something very important. And I think it's something that's very valuable. But let's talk about scale for a second. You know, what's success for you, right? So you're talking about like getting on instructors and getting on, you know, Black millennials to use the product and take the courses and stuff. What does success look like to you?
1: That's a a great question. You know, when I envision just big picture, right? When I, when I talk about, we'll talk about the largest like pie in the
0: sky. Thing. Go big, man. Go big, go big. You
1: know, it re- really is, you know, to create a more, you know, I, I say it all the time to create a more inclusive and accepting society, right? By removing the margins in education. That's the big goal that we're working towards to removing the barriers to high quality online education so anyone can have access to it. Like that's the large thing, but I really see us as being the premier online platform for melanated excellence. And so, you know, the 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 hub for it. So when it comes to, you know, four years from now, you know, the, when we are voting again, there will be a presidential debate on our platform. Why? Because we have the ears of every single person of color who is looking to better themselves professionally um, in their profession or in their career. I, I envision this being the hub for, for that, that, that cycle that you mentioned, right? It's the, I, I talk a lot about sowing, growing and connecting. So sowing seeds into the community where people come here to sow seeds, give, give, give. People come to receive that knowledge and then they connect and it's this kind of cycle of one generation depositing to the next generation which deposits into the next generation which deposits to the next generation all that sounds great but when it comes to like money investors are like yeah yeah great sounds good but what about us you know i, I really think you know at some point you know there there will be you know a logical there, there will probably be some some very clear players in the game um where an acquisition at some point may make sense, you know. Um, you know, I think I am. Uh, I am passionate about lots of different issues, and I, you know, I, and you know, there's some larger players in the game that I don't think have the ability to ever pivot and, and focus on this way because their whole business model is made up. You know, LinkedIn is is a perfect example. Like they, even if they've tried, LinkedIn is who LinkedIn is. Their DNA is who it is. It, may, it would make sense for a LinkedIn or even, you know, who knows, maybe Amazon wants to get in the game um, to be able to have an online learning platform where you can influence, motivate, encourage, and inspire communities of color. So that's kind of long, long-winded answer, but that's kind of how I envision, you know, what success looks like for us, you know, a platform that grows at scale. It's a platform that has millions of users um, that are using it, that are contributing, taking the knowledge, it's a platform that allows us to grow our financial base um, because, you know, ultimately all of this is to change the game and to give us a more solid financial base, <laughs> which is important because, you know, you, you doesn't matter how much skills you have. If you can't get promoted, <laughs> you can't pay for, you know, your education. You can't pay for, you know, if you have tons of student loan debt, if you step like, those type of things. And so we want to make sure that ultimately all of this leads to helping our communities uh, to, to grow financially as well. So.
0: I I completely understand it. It's like the uncle that has been successful, that is giving you game, you know, when you're sitting on the porch and it's like, listen, man, let me tell you how it's really done. Right. I feel that's, that's the vibe that I get. It's like, okay, well, now that you've learned all the skills you need to do your work, now let's tell you how you grow. Right. So that makes sense to me. It's, it's interesting because you are right. There's a lot of different ways that this can go. There's a lot of different ecosystems that it can plug into. And you are right. LinkedIn has tried to diversify their instructor pool. I, I see it taking a few courses. I'm really excited to do those courses because I see people like myself teaching them. And especially when it's around technology, breaking into edtech is going to be hard, right? It's going to be hard regardless of what communities you're serving, right? So you're in it for the long battle right now. Yeah. But I'm sure you've had this discussion when you're breaking into a market, you want to focus on a niche, right? So you have that down in terms of your customer, right? You say, okay, well, we're going to target black millennials. But within that space, what's the one thing that black millennials want to learn the most? Right. What what do we lead with? Like what's the lead and edge? Is it you know, I don't want to lead you on, but is it personal finance? Is it technology? Is it salary negotiations? Like what's the one thing? that you say, if we do 10 good courses in this space, we can scale this to our first 100,000 if we offer them for free? We,
1: uh, you know, we surveyed, right? So when we did our survey, the number one, we surveyed over 600, you know, potential users. We had over 1,800 people sign up and say, hey, listen, we want, we are interested in this platform. Let us know when you go live. And that happened in about, uh, we ran, you know, a couple hundred dollars worth of ads. And that happened in like, a couple of weeks, so you know, we turned it off, and we we're like, "Oh, okay. We, we see this is working. People are interested. All right, cool." Number one course subject was entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship was by far the overwhelmingly uh, number one topic and course category. And so, when we started having conversations, what we're finding it's it's not necessarily how to start a business per se. It is how to start a business, but it's more so. Uh, People are looking to diversify income streams. And so these are most of the people on our platform are middle to senior managers, and they're not necessarily looking to completely leave corporate America, but they are looking to find ways how to add uh, and earn additional revenue. So whether that's through blogging, whether that's uh, uh, monetizing some of the things that they already do in their nine to five, but they don't know how to market it. <laughs> they don't know how to set up their Instagram profiles. They don't know how to, you know, to, to run digital ads. They don't run, they don't know how to set up their website with SEO. They don't know about WordPress. Right. And so it's these things, it's not necessarily, uh, these are, these our community from what we've been seeing isn't necessarily the, I'm quitting my job today and I'm going super hard with it but fam, I I do want to know like, okay, like how, how do I take this? And then the mindset that comes, like, what do I need to be prepared for? I don't know about, you know, what's the mindset needed? What the heck is the EIN? Right. And, you know, talk to me, although you can Google these things, a lot of people don't even know where to start. It's overwhelming. You know, when you Google how to start a business and, you know, you, you have Sally telling you about how she, you know, made, six figures selling, you know, bow ties, you know, on her Etsy page. And it's like, okay, that was, that worked for Sally, but I need to talk to somebody who looked like me, who, who doesn't understand that I, you know, I have, I have a kid at home, I have this corporate job, the team is stressing me out. I'm dealing with all the other things that are happening in the world and I'm still trying to, to balance it. So entrepreneurship was number one. Uh, leadership was number two. Health and wellness was number three. Uh, tech was number four. Um, and so, you know, these are some of the things that we're, we're thinking about. And so entrepreneurship and leadership kind of go hand in hand because it's kind of entrepreneurial mindset and then entrepreneurial. So, you know, how to navigate these nine to five waters, right? So that way I can quote unquote, secure the bag and, and grow and, and make more money, get promoted. What do I need to do? Because I have all the tangible, like I'll have all the technical skills, but how do I leverage those? to make sure that when I'm negotiating my salary, uh, like you mentioned, I think before when I'm negotiating my salary, I do this in a way where I can actually make some money or how do I kill it in the interview? Do I respond? You know, what should my resume look like? All those little, little things like that's, that is exactly where we're going all in right now to start. And as other courses come in, you know, cool, but that's where we're going all in.
0: I I honestly believe that you are spot on with that. I was going to mention that, but I was like, let me let him tell me, because I know that, entrepreneurship is a huge thing, right? In the black community, especially, and you see that because, you know, I don't want to get in on MLMs right now, but like you see that because so many people are getting into these multi-level marketing schemes because it's it's branded as a business, right? When it's not, right? So people are actually thinking and they're looking of ways how they can turn their skills into dollars. But like you say, it's all on the web, but it's not as simple as searching, right? So I definitely understand that. And I think you are right. Entrepreneurship—I think it covers almost everything else that you name after that, right? Leadership, tech—it it, just—it's really part of everything right now because you have to use the internet in the modern entrepreneurial world. Yeah. But backtrack a little bit. I want to talk about like you know you're doing all these things. You know you're a family man. You, I believe, you have a son. Yeah. How are you managing time and? your money and your health, right? I think those three things are things that entrepreneurs sometimes tend to ignore, (laughs) but how are you able to do all this and, and, you know, still be there for your kids and your family?
1: Yeah. So, so time, You know, when it comes to you know being a good steward of my time, I'm I'm really intentional about ensuring that I spend my time in ways that I am the most productive. So I wake up pretty early. I have a two-year-old, but I I wake up before he's up and before my wife is up. So I'm generally up about five thirty AM and I can hit the ground running at that time. You know, I wake up, kind of get my day started, respond to some emails, and then he generally wakes up about seven thirty. So I have a couple hours head start of work. And, you know, when he's up, then it's his time, you know, um, I'm, I'm getting him his breakfast, hanging out with him. He, he goes to daycare about eight 30. And then after that, you know, then we, then we hit the ground running meetings and et cetera, et cetera. And then I pause in the middle of the day, my wife, um, she works from home as well. And then we, we have lunch, you know, we'll, we'll do lunch. We'll sit and watch, you know, maybe 30 minutes of TV. So I'm making sure that it's just kind of our time to kind of reset. And then I go, 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 go. My son comes home from daycare. Um, I give him, you know, a couple more hours. You know, him, my wife make dinner and stuff like that. And then after kind of eight o'clock, you know, I I take you know a little bit more time to to get back to it while he's just kind of chilling, sitting here next to me, playing his games or stuff like that. So I try to, you know, pretty be pretty intentional. Uh, My wife is actually on my team, Um, so you know, I think she kind of also understands a little bit of that grind. Um, But it's it's you know, it's constantly understanding and being aware of, you know, how I'm spending my time and just, you know, laying things out. You know, I'm very intentional on certain days. I don't take meetings, certain time frames, I don't take meetings. It doesn't matter what the meeting is. Um, they just have to understand, you know, I don't even put it on my calendar. And then when it comes to you know what is it time money and health well money is very easy like i don't have much of that uh all of that is, is in the business so you know <laughs> that's that's funny yeah you know, we you know we, we are bootstrapping to the boot to the strap uh but you know we you know i'm a full-time founder so i i'm working full-time and so obviously there's sacrifices that have to be made right like lifestyle changes and I don't spend, I didn't spend a lot of money on a lot of things before, but, uh, I, I did like really nice meals. <laughs> so, you know, the, you know, so, I so a lot of, a lot of, uh, I mean, it's helping though, you know, I'm saving a lot of money by eating a lot more healthy. There's a lot more salads here. And, uh, <laughs> so, you know, doing, doing those things. And I guess the, the one silver lining of it being a pandemic is like, can't really go anywhere. So, there's no gas being spent, you know, where there's no trips being taken, so I'm able to kind of put all that money back into the business. And then when it comes to health, man, I think the biggest thing is just mental health, man. You know, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, trying to stay trying to stay active, physically active, but just mental health. You know, it's hard. You know, I I I, I don't watch a lot of news now. You know, uh, really filtering the things that are coming in uh, because it's man, it's a lot. Um, you're getting hit, you're getting hit everywhere, you know, and every week there's a new, you know, police shooting that's being, uh, shown, you know, I, I, I kind of pause a lot of social media activity that let people, up, other people post and, or I try to plan out my posts, um, because there's no place that you can go where you can kind of just breathe for a second, whether that's LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, you don't have it, not sports. I and mean, there's no place you can go and kind of just breathe. So So yeah, just trying to turn the noise off, man. It's just spend time with family and you know, and loved ones. And to be grateful, man. Practicing gratitude every day. Um. COVID hasn't, hasn't affected my family, um, anybody in my family. So, you know, we're blessed and I just try to hold onto that and and just try to remind us, you know, remind ourselves that like, although things are tough now, that we're still really, really blessed, blessed and just trying to be very grateful and practice gratitude on a daily basis.
0: You know, I, I really like the fact that you are strict with your time. I think that that's one thing that I've been, terrible with. I'm telling you right now, I've I've been bad with that because I've had to learn how to prioritize things because I always think that everything's important. Everything's on fire when you run a startup. And that's one of the things that I've been focused on is time management. So I I like the way you've laid out your day, that you have these time blocks and everybody would tell you to time block. Right. And so I think that's definitely one way to go about not going crazy, first of all, when you build in this stuff. But it's very interesting because you're basically setting up for the long haul right like you mentioned earlier that it might take 8-9 months before you you know p- people can draw salaries it might take 5 years before the startup is actually even profitable and it sounds to me like you're settling in for the long haul with this one which is I think from a consumer side of someone that might actually use your platform or is going to use your platform that's exciting because I know that if I invest my time into this that would be great because this brother is is ready to go on this trip right and ready to go till the very end so that's exciting to see but you know you're sort of early stage in building the company right now, but if you could go back to the start, what are some of the moves and I'm going to say mistakes, right? But we call them learning opportunities. What are some of the things that you did that looking back now, you would have moved differently for a better outcome?
1: Yeah. You know, I mean, we spent a lot of money in development of our, of our product. And I think it came from just my, um, my fear and I I, I guess my own kind of A lot of times I understand, I know dealing with interacting with companies' MVPs, that there are people and companies whose MVPs are just trash. I mean, just terrible. And I don't think as a Black founder, we get the luxury of being able to put out uh, trash in the beginning, (laughs) because especially if we're dealing with our community. It has to be semi-polished in the beginning. So we spent a lot of money. I probably would have spent a little less money uh, in a development piece. But the other part is I think I would have uh, spent more time having more conversations with more people prior to just assuming what people wanted. We spent a little bit more time in the development process refining things and changing features that we, that I thought, was going to be home run features. But after I had conversations, people didn't really care about those things. And there is um in and, and uh, this this scrum book by Jeff Sutherland, you know, we do scrum and, and agile for our, our team. But in a book it talks about, you know, 80% of the value for any product is in 20% of the features. If 80% of the value is in 20% of the features, why do you have the other 80% of those features, you know, and he talks about like, think of Microsoft Word, how how many things like they have tons of things you can do on Excel, tons of things you can do on Word. But the reality is like most people don't use like more than <laughs> 10, 12 functions. So if that's the case, you know, why you, do you spend your time building something, you know, that doesn't add value, and I think we did a lot of that in the early in the early stages. Um, we're getting a lot better with that now because now everything is based off of data, right? Everything is based off of conversations with with customers and and true users, uh, as opposed to you know the hypothetical and me just guessing, you know, at, at those points.
0: So. To be honest with you, man, it's a very common problem, especially for non-technical founders, but especially for first-time founders, even developers will overbuild because they assume that, hey, because I think this feature is cool or I think that this is what people are going to use. Let's build it. Right. And I think so. It's even worse off for minorities who might not necessarily have ready access to talent as in friends that can code and can build things for free and join the team. Because we actually have to go pay people to do it, right? That product is going to change so many times. That like, if that's the only lifeline, that might be a problem, right? So the the overbuilding thing, I think you can sort of prevent that. Like you mentioned earlier, it was that you just got to talk to people, right? You have to spend time and just talk to people and not just ask them what they want, but extract the information rather than assuming. So I definitely agree with that. It's something that I've fallen prey to as well. So it's definitely coming from a place of experience.
1: That process is a scary process though, because it's almost what happens if you talk to people and you find out the thing that you really want to build and that you are all in on, isn't what they want. Right. And so sometimes we avoid having those conversations because it's a lot easier, just build what we want, as opposed to tell somebody else telling us like, fam, that idea is trash,
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: do something else.
0: It's so scary. And I can tell you, one. I talked to a lot of founders just because of the pod and I've started a few communities in the past with like, you know, primarily black entrepreneurs and stuff. It's a big problem, right? It's so much of a problem that people will go on years, years, bro, like just trying to build the same thing. And you said something earlier that struck with me. And you said, we're going to try out this product. You said something about experiments. And I was like, yes, he gets it, right? So like the product, it's still a hypothesis at this point. Like you're trying to prove or disprove this. So I'm part of the Mozilla Foundation's Accelerator I've been going through that accelerator for the past three months with my startup. And there was one thing that the mentor stressed on was that to disprove the hypothesis, i.e. people don't want this, and to prove the hypothesis people want this are both success metric, right? Like you you are still successful if people, if you learn that this is not what people want because you just saved yourself possibly years and thousands of dollars. So if you're a founder out there and you have that inkling that people don't want this, but you still keep building, you can shut it down, man. Like you have so many more ideas to do. Like you can shut it down and pivot.
1: And imagine the, the conversation when you after you pivot that you can have with investors at that point, you can use that. You can say, hey, we listen and we allow our customers to really dictate the path of our companies and yada, yada, yada. We pivoted and this is where we started. And so to give them some kind of faith that, you know, you're a company that that's using consumer insights and data and et cetera to make some informed decisions. I think that's even more exciting. Um, from your perspective.
0: And you're a humble founder, right? Yeah. It requires some humility to do this. Like it requires humility to say I was wrong, right? I've been wrong quite a number of times myself and I've gone all in on certain things that I was completely wrong. You know, this one story, I was in a diner with one of my friends and it was like 12 o'clock at night and we had just left a co-working space and I was working on a different product completely. And she kind of looked at me and she said, you're trying too hard. Like, I almost broke down after that, bro. She was like, you're trying too hard. If your product is something that people want, it shouldn't be this hard. Now, it will be hard to scale and grow companies regardless. But what you're doing right now, it's not working, bro. Mm -hmm. And once I stop, right, and I say, you know what, I think you're right. And I shut it down. The following week, bro, something else emerged that was super valuable. But I had to shut it down first and I had to mentally shut it down and wholeheartedly say, you know what? I think I'm done with this exercise. I'm going to move on to something else. And the second I did that, something wow. else emerged immediately. So, like, I think that people often feel like it's a one silver bullet. It's not, bro. The world is full of problems. <laughs> like, there's there's a lot of problems, Juan. There's a lot of problems to solve. And a lot of them are valuable and I think that if you're a founder once, you'll be a founder forever. Yeah. yeah. But in terms of like being a founder, I think that one thing that I like to end off on is actually two things. Matter of fact, so Founders Gym is sort of this this new training camp or boot camp for primarily minority founders equip you with uh, information to go out there and build your company. Give me sort of the top, because I haven't been to Founders Gym, a lot of people on um, who are tuned in right now might not have the ability to join Founders Gym because it, it is paid, right? If you can distill it down to three or five top points that you got out of the program that you're willing to share, please go ahead and share that. Yeah, I think one of the
1: biggest takeaways from Founder Gym is the value of your lived experience. How to take your lived experience mm-hmm. and present it in a way that shows that you are... Um, the right founder. And I think that's probably one of the the largest takeaways is the value of your lived experience. And then number two, how important it is, especially in early stage companies for founders to show that you are the right founder. Not that this is necessarily, I think a lot of times people think of like, this is the right idea. Um, and they spend all of that time, but rarely focus on, okay, great, great idea. But why you? right? Like why you and why your team? And so that is one of the things that was just really, you know, I think was, was really big. And then the third was just, I think anytime, you know, you know this from creating communities in the past, anytime that you are in a community, other people who are going through similar journeys, I think is valuable and the importance of those communities. You know, I'm in a fraternity. There's something valuable about being in my fraternity and knowing that there's some other people who also have been through some of the similar things to a, you know, to, to get to the endpoint. So, yeah, I think that those are kind of some of the gems um, from founder jam and some of the, the, the highlights from my experiences with them.
0: What's interesting that none of those points focuses on ideas, or MVPs or how to build stuff. It's really just something that everybody has in them. You've lived. So you got a story to tell people are valuable, find yourself in a good community, right? So I think that, you know, you're spot on there. And I think that what Founder Jim is doing is actually pretty pretty remarkable and it's, and it's super valuable for the community. Last question, because we're coming up on an hour and I would love to keep going, but obviously, you know, people might have got to their destinations at this point, you know, when they tuned into the pod, but uh, what's your superpower, right? Every founder has one. You know the thing that you get out of bed and you just rock at it everybody sees you then they go oh yeah juan yeah he's good with that and it's not necessarily like a skill per se but it's more about something that you naturally have an affinity to just be great at yeah i i my joke with um like friends and whenever
1: i've been on interviews i always compare myself to kung fu panda and which is and they always start laughing they're like wait what I was like, yeah. I'm like, I am like Kung Fu Panda. And I don't know if anybody's ever seen the cartoon Kung Fu Panda. It's a great cartoon. There's like three or four of them. But he is the there he's he the Kung Fu Panda, right, is the dragon warrior. He selected to be this dragon warrior and everyone around him seems to be physically more qualified. Um, you know, Stanford MBAs, you know, they've been here and been there. They went to Cornell for their undergrad, you know, et cetera. They've exited Google and et cetera. And so you look in the landscape and everyone's around him seems to be more qualified. But the one thing that he has is this this ability to to take any blow and keep going and i think you know if it's a superpower that i think that i have is my resiliency to overcome any any high or any low and still continue to move on right and and be able to pivot to be self-aware i think he is extremely self-aware he knows like i'm not the fastest like i don't know karate like some of these other people but he gets punched in the face and he's like that's it Gets punched in the stomach. It's like that's it. So I think that would be my superpower, right? and I think it's just the ultimate resiliency. And I think that is why I believe that I will be successful as a founder, and, and you know, in any entrepreneurial endeavor. Um, and I think that is what draw has drawn me to entrepreneurship, just in general, is I'm not afraid to fail on my face in front of. The public, I'm not afraid uh, of failure. Um, I've 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 tasted it. I've experienced it many times in my life. I've had you know lots of things happen to me. You know throughout my just time living and you know being able to have different lived experiences has prepared me. I think for this founder's journey. So I would say that would be my superpower, my ability to be resilient in situations when most people will be like, nah, I'm good. It's time to uh, go go back to my nine to five and go get another job. <laughs> you know. I think I think I have that unrelentless spirit.
0: Look, man, I love that. And you are right. You've got all the grit, all the grind. And to me, that's super exciting. I So there's, there's two things, right? I love startups. I call myself a, a product junkie. Because I just love products and I love startups and I love businesses and innovation. So a lot of the folks I talk to, I'm actually, first of all, I I contact people to bring them on the show because I actually like what they're doing. And I'm rooting for you. I'm going to be a user on the product. I'm going to try and apply to do a course. I might do some product stuff on there, how to build stuff without hiring developers because some of that I faced as well so I'll be able to share some of that uh, some of that knowledge on there otherwise if we've got people tuned in that want to reach out to you maybe they want some advice or they want to write you a big check or they want to contact you to get onto your marketplace how do they reach you where do you hang out on the web how can people get in contact with you on
1: yeah so the easiest way is just email me. I'll give you my email. It's very simple. It's Juan, J-U-A-N, at melanince.com. That's M-E-L-A-N-E-N-C-E.com. Email is always great. I'm on LinkedIn under Juan Young. Feel free to search me and we can connect there. I also have uh, Instagram at Juan Young, Y O U N G Jr., J R. I also have a Twitter at Juan Young, Jr., I don't really use Twitter that much on my personal page, though. IG and uh, LinkedIn is where I'm at most of the time. But then, yeah, and then the company, you know, the company has a as a, a Twitter, Melanins underscore. Um, also has an IG, Melanins, and www.melanins.com. But shoot me an email, man. I would love to, you know, if you heard this and, and heard the pod and, you know, you want to reach out, yeah, feel free to do so. We can, uh, I'll shoot you my Lee,
0: Shout out to Lee, Calendly. Right. <laughs> Calendly's doing it big.
1: Man, oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, I'll shoot you my Calendly link, and then we can we can set up some time to talk. So,
0: All right, man. This has been fantastic. I love having these conversations. If you're tuned in and you made it to the end of this show, thank you. Drop us a review on iTunes or wherever you can find a place to comment on the podcast. Share it with your friends, and go to Melanins and try it out. Uh till next week.